to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is the podcast where we talk about the TV show Legion, and I think it's about time we recorded another podcast. Because time is what a clock keeps. No, 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 no. Okay, so today we're talking about episode seven of Legion. We're going to give this episode the title The Monster Appears. The Monster Appears, this episode was directed by Denny Gordon and written by Jennifer Yale. Denny Gordon has a long list of credits on IMDb, too many to mention. Um, Some things that jumped out at me, though, she directed an episode of Picket Fences way back in the day. Oh, man. Um, And in 2016, she directed episodes of TV shows Power, Kingdom, Empire, Bloodline, Madam Secretary. uh, All those one-word shows. (laughs) Shows that are very different from each other. Mm-hmm. So based on her IMDb entry, she seems like you know a versatile working director who really tends to direct a single episode of a show and then move on to a different show in a wide variety of TV shows. Oh, gosh, she does a really good job on this one. So she does like, an amazing stellar. job on this episode. Um, the writer Jennifer Yale, she has a handful of writing credits. She tends uh, to be the kind of writer based on her IMDb profile, she tends to be the kind of writer who'll be a staff writer and write a bunch of episodes for a show over uh, a while. Her The credit that I recognize most is that she was a staff writer during season eight of Dexter. Okay. Season eight of Dexter, not the best episode of Dexter. So I think it's pretty fair to say that this episode is, uh, we're seeing her better work in this episode than mm-hmm. we saw on Dexter. The writing and the direction in this episode are both, uh, Amazing. Yeah, they're fantastic. I really like this episode a lot. So, do you want to take us away through the beat by beat? All right. So, we begin coming right off the end of the last episode and even overlapping the last episode. We begin in red-lighted clockworks. Female Carrie is running from Walter and the now zombified other par- other patients. The devil with the yellow eyes slash Lenny interrogates Amy about Dave- David's arrival as a baby. We see where Carrie went when he entered the astral plane in the last episode, Oliver's Cube. Oliver has been watching David and knows that the monster parasite is Amal Farouk, the Shadow King. They discuss rescuing him, but the king is too powerful. David is locked away in a tiny corner of his mind, and we see David screaming outside the cube. Carrie says that the halo he made should stop the Shadow King. Carrie retrieves Sid and takes her to the space where Lenny can't hear them. Carrie tries to tell her about the illusion, but Sid is very aware of what's going on. Carrie gives her a pair of glasses to show her what's real and what's not, and her job is to distract. She exits the booth to the chaos at Clockworks, but when she puts on the glasses, all is calm and in black and white. David is in his mind coffin, screaming and banging the lid. In the real world, Melanie encounters Carrie in a diver suit and Oliver in David's bedroom, which is still frozen in time at the moment of the shooting. Carrie finds the halo device in his hand, and Melanie goes upstairs to find a stabbed Rudy. She whispers something in his ear, and we then see that catatonic Rudy is at Clockworks. Sid runs around Clockworks, finding Rudy and saving Carrie by putting the glasses on her. We see Lenny in her office, and David screaming in his coffin underground. All right. There's a lot there to talk about. Yeah. Um, just first to mention, uh, Walter is whistling here, and we talked about before whether Walter 
whether Kissinger was Walter back in Division 3 a few episodes ago. His whistling is not the same song as Walter's whistling. Walter's whistling an actual tune, whereas Kissinger was just kind of whistling half-heartedly. Yeah, Kissinger was whistling. I went back and checked that also. mm -hmm. Kissinger is just, yeah, whistling nonchalantly. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that Kissinger wasn't Walter, because I still think that's an interesting theory, but... They're not both. They're not whistling the same thing. So if they are the same, if the whistling is a clue, it's not a beat you over the head clue. Yeah, exactly. Um, the song Walter is whistling. We'll talk about it at the end of the show, but uh, oh, it does have an it is a song. It, it's a song called Froggy Went to Courtin. Oh yes, I know that. We'll song. talk yeah. about what that might mean at the mm-hmm. end of the show because I have thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I would note the thing that jumps out at me about the beginning of this episode is that it's very horror movie. Yes, like we talked about this in uh, the episode The Undiscovered, mm-hmm. when they're walking around in David's childhood home, it's very slasher movie. Yeah. And here again, we have the same thing, and we have a mix of kind of two kinds of horror movies on top of each other. Because when we have Walter walking down a hallway, Carrie's running, and Walter is walking after yes. her, like, that is such a horror movie trope. Mm-hmm. And then also, from Carrie's perspective, she's a te- like you said it in your recap, the patients are zombies. Yeah, they're exactly like zombies. I think, like, from any way of reading it, they're indistinguishable from zombies. Yeah. Like, her experience is indistinguishable from the experience of someone in a zombie movie. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, again, I mean... I think we get all kinds of horror throughout this episode. It's a very yes. horror-filled episode Agreed. of Legion. Agreed. And then as she's running through the hallways, you notice that the astral plane version of the facility of Clockworks is like falling apart. And this is a difference. You said Mm. that this is going right from the last episode. But the set here, or the setting, the halls that Carrie is running through, there's sparks and there's things on the walls falling down. Last episode... It was just Clockworks. Like, there was one wall that had a stain on it that bled when... uh, that bled when Sid touched it. But other than that, it was just clockworks as it was back in Happy Jack. But now this facility is falling to pieces. Is Is that because... I think Lenny's losing control. She losing control or is she losing interest? Mm. Yeah, maybe a little of both. Now that she's, she's locked David away. We said at the very end of the last episode, we had that, that she's like, I don't want to maintain this illusion anymore. I'm going to lock you away in your brain and... So I'm surprised that the illusion is still being maintained at all, really. Yeah. And in a big sense, it isn't, right? That what, Or it's a different illusion. It's a different illusion, And that yeah. maybe has a lot to do with why the beginning of this movie is so horror movie. It's partly because scary things are happening, but it's partly because what Lenny has decided to do now is terrorize, outright terrorize these people. Yes. And so they are now living in a horror movie. Right, yeah. By the way... Um, all through this episode, I think, we'll talk about the Shadow King slash Lenny slash uh, the Devil with Yellow Eyes slash Farouk. Yeah. I think, for simplicity's sake, I mostly, in my notes, just call her Lenny. Yeah. Because she's played by Audrey Pla- Aubrey Plaza. Most of the time. Most of the time, it's Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. We'll just call her Lenny, and everyone will know that we are aware that those are all the same yes. person. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. The scene with Lenny and Amy in that weird 
globe and map room. Yes. There's all these globes all over, which, by the way, is my dream room because I love globes. <laughs> Your dream room is to be terrorized <laughs> by the devil with yellow no, eyes. No, definitely I'll make a not. Note. Definitely not. I'll definitely remember that. <laughs> Just a side note that I love globes. But, the, yeah, there's this big map, on, like, glowing map on the wall, and there's globes. I'm like, is this kind of like Professor X's big cerebro? cerebro that's the word. Cerebro thing? Like, is, is he see? Is, is Lenny seeing all the different clockworks people? Like, what is that room? She reacts to something on the map as if it's telling her something. About, like, she yeah, says at the exactly. end of the scene, she says one of the animals is out of its cage. Uh, and that's how she knows, apparently, that male Carrie isn't where he should be. Yeah. So it does seem like the maps are somehow giving her, you know updates on the people although when i look at the map i can't see anything blinking that told her that information no but i agree that it's not just a big map it's not just a big screen that you know is keeping her up to date on what's happening in clockworks there's globes everywhere there's Mm -hmm. maps everywhere and she and maybe there's more to it than this but i wonder if one of the things that is just like she is searching for something and so there's a lot of visual imagery of how do you locate something with a map? Mm-hmm. She's not actually searching for something on Earth, but she is searching for something. And she keeps saying to sit to, and she keeps saying to Amy, "What did he do with it? Where is it? Where is it? What did he do with it?" And what exactly? Do we know at all what he? The, I don't think we know at all what Lenny is referring to here. I don't think we do because is I assume the he in that question is not David but Professor X. So do I. And so they've he's gotten to the point where he thinks i've locked david away and i can focus on what i what i went in david to do in the first place which was this battle with professor x yeah and so i'm hoping that in the next episode we'll see what that is i absolutely agree i think that this what is it is the point all along yeah. from the shadow king's from perspective. The shadow perspective so we get this image of uh, Amy's childhood and David arriving as a baby and the little flash of the X wheelchair, <laughs> which is so cool. And you like blink and you'll miss it. But those of us who are fans definitely saw that little flash of the X yeah. wheelchair. I think you cheered when we saw Roger in this episode originally. May have. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And Lenny says, yeah, that's him. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, in case there's any doubt remaining, Professor X is David's biological father who left him with uh, Amy's family. Yeah. And that X wheelchair is our last, you know, confirmation. Yeah. And if you knew from outside the show, you already knew this. And that was one of the things we both knew before we even came yeah, into absolutely. the show. But this is, I think, the first in-show confirmation of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Carrie and Oliver are in uh, Oliver's cube. And his cube is way different. Is it? Yeah, it's much. It's smaller. It's diff. It's lighted like the one where, where David was in it. It was very blue and kind of almost like curtains. And this one is very much right. more like an ice cube. It's like they they read their script and were like, "Oh, it's supposed to be a cube." <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's on purpose that it's different or just that was the set design changed between episodes. But it's hmm. different. It's a lot lighter blue and it's a lot sharper corners right yeah Um, totally i didn't really catch that but you're right it is much sharper corners Mm -hmm. it could be yeah 
I don't know a deep significance of that. I no. didn't notice it, so I haven't been thinking about I it. I felt like it had maybe grown smaller, and it was a sense of Oliver's going to escape soon. His home, he's can't maintain it. He can't maintain his home either, and he's just going to shrink it down, and it's going to right. And he comes out in this episode. Another parallel between Oliver and the Shadow King, which yes. is something that there's a few of them in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, he says about David, his memory is, and he can't find the word, and he says dishes. <laughs> And does that mean his memory is broken or his mem- or he's like he's remembering the dishes scene in the Yeah, I think kitchen? what did you think of that? I think that the first and most obvious thing is just it's hilarious. Yes, absolutely. Uh using a noun instead of an adjective. Mm-hmm. Like we could tear apart where the humor comes from. Jermaine Clement, uh, by the way, again killing it in yes. this episode. He is so good and compelling yeah. and interesting in these scenes and hilarious mm-hmm. in these Well, scenes. and Carrie and Oliver are like the two kind of comedic elements of the show, the two people who bring a little bit of levity and they're in a scene together and it's, it has a lot of funny moments in it. Yeah. I mean, and we should say this episode is probably the funniest episode of Legion we've ever had, yeah, in addition true. to being the most uh, explicitly horror that has this scene and then later on there's some... Quite a bit more humor. Yeah, you're right. This is maybe this um, is why I like it so much. Is I like the humor <laughs> aspects of it a lot. But yeah, so I didn't think of dishes as a reference to the kitchen scene, but that makes mm. a lot of sense to me. Yeah. As, like he has been watching David. Yes, it seems clear whether he was watching David at the time or whether he's just been able to look in his memory. Mm-hmm. It seems clear that he knows everything about David that we know and yes. more. Yes, yes, right. And so he has seen that dishes scene. I feel comfortable saying that. He's seen that dishes scene. Mm-hmm. So. I also really like the way he just out with like, oh, the monster. I know exactly who the monster is. It's the Malfaruk. It's the Shadow King. And Carrie is like, oh, that makes sense. King, the dog. And it's like right at the beginning of the episode. We're not dragging it out. We've <laughs> we've figured it out by the end of the last episode, kind of. And then like this episode fully confirms that and that's who it is. So. One of the things this show is great at. Uh, is it has these mysteries and everything's all confusing, but once once the show gives us an answer to a mystery, it doesn't keep pretending it's mysterious. Yes, exactly. And that seems like an obvious thing, but there are so many shows that don't succeed in that. Yep. They have, like, every character has to learn this one by one. Mm-hmm. And in this show, especially on this episode, yeah. the audience knows, so everyone on the show everyone knows. On the show, yes, everyone's exactly. catching up. Everyone's as quick as we are. Everyone is putting the pieces together just right away. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing more tedious than watching someone slowly discover what we already know. Exactly. And the show I, like gets high praise from me for skipping that enormous uh, sinkhole that so many shows fall down. Yes, absolutely. Um, I was just going to say, back to, to just the comedy in this scene, that I totally agree with Oliver. Daylight Savings Time is boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He does say that. And Carrie... Uh, always finishing Oliver's sentences for him and Oliver getting annoyed because he's so used to talking to someone in his own head. And so... Yeah, it's it was, great. That was a great moment of Oliver great, finishing. I love... I mean, we. I said a second ago that uh, Jermaine Clement is killing it, but Bill Irwin also, yes. like, their interaction, it's their fantastic. entire... This entire scene of their interaction is so entertaining and so good, and they are so... They have great... The actors have great chemistry mm-hmm. and great comedic chemistry yep. and their timing together. Love it. Yeah. Absolutely. Only good things to say about both of their performances. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
has something to do with like what we were saying about mysteries being solved. Oliver has been the voice of exposition before. And I say again, in terms of things that this show does really well, that many shows would, would fumble, that he's giving us exposition in this scene. Mm-hmm. Basically, this is Oliver giving exposition to yes, the audience. absolutely. And yet it's so entertaining and so compelling and so, so zippy. Yes. Like he moves right past it. That's true. It's great. I yep. think it's a great exposition scene. Thinks that Melanie is Chinese and then Japanese, which is hilarious and bizarre. But also, there's the woodcutter and the crane story that that's a Japanese folktale. So what's with Oliver and like? Does he well, secretly? Clearly, he had an affair with that. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. When he says like, "I have an intimate memory of a." Never mind. It's not important. Yeah. Okay. Like, that's a good point. Yeah. I guess that is kind of obvious. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that. You know that. I do like when they talk about it and then they move on and he's like. Rescue them. I said it right after the Chinese wife debate, which I am not completely resolved on. I don't believe you. (laughs) Everything we've seen before. And there's a lot of comedy, but there's also a real degree of pathos in there, too. Yes. Just as in our first introduction to Oliver, he's so awkward because he has had literally no one to talk to for 20 years. Yes. Right? And And then them being in, when they're in the real world, they're not real, but they're in the real world. Yes. Uh, Oliver being there and and uh, Melanie seeing him for the first time and he doesn't remember her and she is so heartbroken at that. Yes. And she doesn't tell him her name. No. And I wonder, does he know? I think he knows by the end of the episode, but I don't know. I don't think he knows in this moment. Or he's just making jokes so to cover that he doesn't. That he knows. I think he's making jokes to cover that he doesn't know. Yeah. I think he's both Oliver and Jemaine Clement are extremely charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Oliver is using that charm to cover up his, you know, he's, he's insecure and he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. I think. Um, here we see what happened at the end of the last episode, but we see it from Carrie's perspective. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned this in the last episode that suddenly Carrie's in the diver's suit and he's waking Sid up and we don't know what's going on. And we get that gap filled in in this episode. Yeah very nicely and we see you mentioned this in the last episode but it was kind of subtle in the last episode and it's very clear now that Sid is in David's childhood bedroom yes like uh well so Sid being brought into this little like glass booth thing with Carrie she's so it's so great that she's just I know exactly what's going on yes She's not, she's not a dummy. She knows, she's been paying attention. She knows what's going on. She's like, yeah, okay, like, let's just get to the plan here. Yeah. When Carrie's trying to explain things to her, it's great. I love smart people. I love to see smart people. I love that we don't have to have Carrie explain things at all. She's yeah. just like, yeah, I'm, I'm in it. I'm here. Just give me the plan. And this is, again, what I said, what we liked so much a second ago about yeah. the exposition scene. They're doing it again even better. Like, this is an episode where everyone is smart, figuring stuff out. I love how on top of things it is. Yes, absolutely. Um, I also love, while we're talking about things of this scene, the visual of this scene of just endless white space with a red pod in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. It just looks phenomenal. It looks really cool. Just in terms yeah. of the visual, yeah. it looks so good. Mm-hmm. And it symbolizes, right, they're in an isolated space. They're not in Oliver's space or the Shadow King's space. They're somewhere else. Yes. Um so it's symbolic, but it also is just a beautiful, uh, compelling image. Mm-hmm. Um, 
talking about Sid being really on top of things, though, comes back to something we talked about in the last episode, which is, how is she so on top of things? She remembers what happened before they got into the illusion space. Because if I remember correctly, we were being shot at. She was having dreams about that. Right. In the last episode, she was dreaming about the gun being shot. And I think, I just think she was in, she's been in David's mind before. She's been in this astral plane space before so when they had the quiet room. So it. she recognizes it when she sees it. Okay. And she's not, she's not distracted and she wants to figure things out. And so she has. I, I can buy that. She's not distracted. And Lenny has, doesn't care to, to keep them in this illusion anymore. Like, I don't think Carrie fighting off these, these, uh, Walter and these zombie patients thinks she's the other Carrie in a, in, in a mental institution anymore. Right. I think yeah. she thinks she's proper Carrie. No, that makes sense. And Walter thinks he's proper Walter. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Definitely the illusion is not what it used to be. No. And that brings me to, though, the illusion and the levels of illusion. What is the deal with the glasses? Because Carrie says, Duller and Carrie, says he's giving Sid these glasses because they'll show what's real. But nothing's real. But nothing's real. real. Right? Yeah. Like what she sees in black and white in clockwork, she's not really in clockwork. So what do the glasses show? Yeah, it takes away that other layer. But, yeah. This is a question that I had about the clockwork solution to begin with, though, is I talk, we talked about it a lot off mic. I don't know how much. I don't remember how much we talked about it on mic. But... uh I was curious the first time I watched the last episode, who is real and who is not, because some of the staff of Clockworks are, you know, automaton figments controlled by Lenny, and some of them, like Amy, are actual psyches who have been trapped in this place and are doing their own thing, right? Well, not some of them, just Just Amy. Amy. But I wondered, really at the beginning of the episode and quickly dismiss this but i wondered whether you know is david and are david and sid the only ones who are really here and they and lenny has just projected the people they know right and then i know i figured out yeah that it, that wasn't so but maybe in that's the sense of like it shows what's real the only people that you'll see are real people are real people who are trapped here who are trapped in this place and it's a representation of a not real place but they're really there and so all the zombie things don't exist because they aren't individual minds who really exist. Mm-hmm. That's still, though, a pretty loose definition of real. Yes, yeah, so definitely, <laughs> like, what's real and what's not. I mean, this entire show is about what's real and what's not, and I don't think we'll, we ever know what's exactly real. And Carrie sends Sid back in and says, like, one of the last things he says to her is, maintain the illusion. But it seems like Lenny's not really trying to maintain the illusion anymore. Clockworks yeah. is in chaos, so what exactly is Sid trying to maintain yeah is that just carrie doesn't know what he's talking about i think carrie doesn't know what he's talking about he doesn't realize how much the illusion has crumbled and yeah i'm not sure that's all really interesting points i don't (laughs) know if i have much more to say is it is it real is it uh they maintain the illusion of being in clockworks by being in clockworks so they're keeping themselves there instead of going through to the other room like the other ones are Right. They're keeping themselves in clockworks. To try to, to engage try Lenny, engage Lenny. keep her busy. Yeah. I mean, and Carrie also says, they're going to need everyone. But then she he gets Sid. Sid knows all about the illusion. And then Sid says, I'm going to go back. So is Sid's, like, is everyone else's part of this plan being rescued by Sid? 
Carrie says they're going to need everyone, but only Sid finds out about the plan and does something. Yeah, I'm not sure what the everyone is. It's once again, wake everyone to do nothing. Yeah, everyone. Who's everyone? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, Carrie in Clockworks is busy and doing stuff, but she's not helping, mm-hmm. right? So we're going to need everyone. Well, you don't need the other Carrie. Yeah. We're going to need everyone, but autonomy doesn't exist in this episode, and that's a thing I'd like to talk about at the end yeah. of the episode. Um, we're going to need everyone. We already have Melanie and, like, so I don't yeah. know what that land means. Yeah, I'm not sure either. We're going to need everyone eventually. We're going to need everyone to come out of this illusion. And yeah. I think I think maybe Sid doesn't succeed at what she tries to. I mean, she does right. eventually succeed, but she doesn't succeed at Carrie's plan, which is get them all out. No, and she doesn't succeed. I think Carrie underestimates, uh, even knowing everything he does, I think Carrie underestimates um, the Shadow King's power. Yes. That, and Sid does too. Like, I'm going to distract the Shadow King and Lenny... Is not mm-hmm. very distracted. Yeah. That distraction is not very effective. No. So maybe the answer is just their plan doesn't work very well. Yeah, I think so. Here's a question. When they're in the room, mm-hmm. so Melanie and Oliver and Carrie are in the room. They're not literally in the room, as you said. They're mentally projected. Yes. We assume they're, they don't have a physical presence there because their bodies are already there. Mm-hmm. Um they can manipulate things physically, but we'll hand wave that as its mutant powers. Yeah. Oliver's maybe, I don't know who's. But this is more, this is just like a factual question I have too, is what's the nature of the frozen time? Is time frozen in that room by David's power, by someone's power? Are they, are their minds just working really fast? Are we seeing like them thinking faster than bullets can move? If you, if Melanie, because when Melanie walks out of the room and finds Rudy, the blood is falling faster than the bullets are moving, and gravity isn't faster than a bullet. Right. So the time is not as slow for Rudy's blood as it is for everyone in that room. Mm-hmm. So is is it like... Is it like intricate circles of frozenness going outwards? Circles. Concentric circles of frozenness going outwards, maybe? Yeah, or like the time-slowing um, effect... Starts with David, or does it start with Lenny? Who's doing it? And then moves outward, and if you were... If Melanie was to keep walking out of the house, would the people outside be moving at regular speed? Lenny is about Mm self-preservation. She doesn't want David to die, and so I think she is a part of... She's freezing the time because using David's power, using her own power to freeze the time so that they can work out a way to... She can work out a way to, like take him over entirely. Right. Because if David dies, she dies too. That makes sense. I kind of. Yeah. I mean it makes sense that it it makes sense that it might be Lenny. It makes sense that it might be David. Those it's seem one to be yeah. Those seem to me like the only options, mm-hmm. right? It's not anything but one of those two things. It's hard to separate the two at this point. Good point. It is. They're very they've been together since birth and so hard to yeah. In the episode where they freeze time initially, it's Sid who says David to the quiet room and and, then, and David seals it. But then Lenny creates the clockworks. Right. Part. And if when Sid says David, you're right. Sid says David white room now. She, I guess, knows that going to the white room is going to make them safe. Does that imply we, we had been wondering 
what are they doing while they're in the white room? Like while they're having sex in the white room, are the people in the elevator like, oh, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but is there an implication there that they do their white room stuff and no time passes in the real world? Maybe. Maybe that's how it works. Maybe it is. I think that things going really fast is also uh, makes sense too, that it's not so much that time is stopped. It's just that from their pers- only from their perspective. Like if someone were to come in to see this from above somehow, they wouldn't see like a frozen house time. Right. They would see this all just happen. Yeah. I mean, that's how time freezing works. Right. <laughs> but no, it's the difference between time freezing and object freezing. And object freezing, exactly. So this you think definitely it's time, time freezing. I agree with you there. Okay. For sure. So Melanie goes up the stairs and she finds Rudy stabbed. Yes. And we wondered about, uh, we had wondered yeah, in the what past happened what happened to Rudy. Yeah. And we speculated when we saw him, you know, brain dead in the wheelchair in Clockworks. What is, where is his real body? Yeah. Um, so she goes and finds him and she whispers something in his ear. Yeah. And there's two things. One well, maybe let's talk first. What does she whisper in his ear? I have no idea. And I feel like this hints that she has some kind of power. Like, I wondered, does she have power over the dead? But he's not quite, I don't think he's quite dead. No, he isn't no, quite dead. I'd say not. Definitely not dead. Does she have power? To, or, I'm sorry. I thought, does she have power over the dead? Is she, like, resurrecting him somehow? Or maybe. keeping him alive somehow? Because we have... Oliver, all these years, kept alive, and her going down and whispering things in his ear. Well, is she maybe maybe that why he's still why alive. he's still why Oliver's still alive? Is somehow she has mm-hmm. uh, resurrecting or healing power? And I noticed uh, as she goes in and finds Rudy, he's sitting there. There's a light bulb, and then he's there. And I wrote down in my notes, you know, the lights are on, but no one's home. Mm. And I got today a. Uh, tweet uh from on twitter from at summerland underscore folk legion eyes on twitter Mm -hmm. saying the same thing and you know we hadn't released this podcast yet you couldn't know but having the same thought uh and what i don't know actually if this is he or she what summerland folk speculates that melanie has some kind of mind control power Mm. And because Rudy is brain dead, she's whispering in his ear and controlling his mind somehow. Maybe. I could maybe see that. I just wanted to bring that up because definitely the thought had occurred to me, certainly the imagery of lights are on, but nobody's home. And I had wondered what she was whispering in his ear, but I had not made that point. And it kind of makes, definitely what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me that that whispering could easily be a manifestation of her power somehow. Yeah. I think if she does have a power, that's going to be part of it. Yeah. And if not, if she doesn't have a power, then potentially this is just, she's whispering, Hey, use your, you know, physical, your, your body that's in clockworks is not stabbed. Right. You can use it any way you want. Yeah. And so she's she's just just coaching him along. Just coaching him along. Maybe. I wonder this because she's if he's at clock if he's at Summerland she's been inside his head and his memories yeah because he's probably gone through the same thing that yeah. the others of them have gone through I think definitely definitely that's a safe conclusion to so now we have David in his trapped coffin talking to himself suddenly British David appears saying that he's his rational mind he tells David to envision a classroom with blackboards 
David draws on the blackboards, the chalk drawings come to life, working out the story of his life so far. David's biological father was a mutant who fought the monster. He was given to his parents, but the monster was there, and that's what made him sick. It poisoned him his whole life, feeding on him. He recognizes that he has control, and he pushes outward, breaking the coffin. I'm so in love with this scene. I'm so in love <laughs> with this whole sequence of him him and British him, him and like Dan Stevens. Yeah, I was going to say like this is Dan Stevens cameoing as himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> doing his actual accent and then making fun of himself doing oh, it was so oh. good. Oh, and this and the chalk, the chalk drawings are really well done. I don't uh I wish we knew who animated that. That'd be that'd be a whole more than one be... person. Yeah, but I would imagine that there was on animator yeah. and the team. With well, them. kudos to that animator whose name we don't know yet, but we'll probably look up after this because yeah. those are really good. Let's, I mean, we're, I'm with you on this is an amazing scene and maybe let's take another moment to squeeze about like <laughs> everything about this scene is so good. Yes. He's talking to himself, British Dan Stevens. As British Dan Stevens, their conversation, like, this is when I, at the beginning of our episode, when I talked about humor, like, this is the other really funny yeah, scene in this episode, really... and Dan Stevens having, like, great comic timing with himself. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive. Well, yeah. Um, and then the animated scene, amazing. Mm -hmm. So good. Mm -hmm. But we're getting ahead of ourselves a little, yes, because yeah. when, second Dan, when second David shows up, what I want to say about that what occurred to me is this is david's legionness really kicking in at last yeah. like this show is called legion we've said there's lots of things in david's head the shadow king doesn't belong there yeah but now we see for the first time really something that does belong there and is still why he's called legion why the show is called legion there's more than one of them in there and that i mean in british and i'm just gonna call him dan stevens british david <laughs> british david i'll call him dan uh, Dan says, uh, your power created me, right? He is explicit about, like, your yes. power is creating a second personality. Yeah, to help you deal with what's going on here. Yeah, so good. I love it. He doesn't know, David doesn't know when he when Dan first appears if he's the monster or not. No. He's like, yeah, he's... But it doesn't take him long. Like, is he telling the truth? Is I think is... there's no question in my mind that he is telling the truth. Like, He's not a third entity latched on to David? No. No? I don't think... I mean, maybe, and I'll go on record so that I can be proved wrong if I'm wrong, but I think not any chance. No chance. No chance? I think there's a chance. I think there's no chance. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see who is right and who is wrong, and I've, I've often been wrong, so I'm probably wrong. Um, and then they go to the chalkboard... And uh, the, one of the first things that Dan Stevens says to David is, forget the MRI machine and the memory work, the tricks and the lies. Yes. The MRI machine, the memory work, those were lies, yeah. says Dan Stevens. Yes. Even though Melanie was trying to help. And we all the way through, we wondered about like how helpful is she? How reliable is she? How yeah. trustworthy is she? Uh, we've come, I think, at this point to be pretty solidly on that she's benevolent she's the good guy we're on her side yeah but even though she did want to help what she was doing to try to help was lies and wrong and it wasn't helping yeah it wasn't helping at and all and we kind of wondered this all along but we have here again pretty clear confirmation that everything that 
was happening in Summerland was just making things worse. Yeah, it was just as bad as what they did in Clockworks. It made no difference. And that's what we said from the beginning of mm-hmm. Summerland. This is just another Clockworks. It's worse than what they did in Clockworks, right? Because yes. in Clockworks, they were kind of futilely treating a psychic phenomenon like a chemical one, basically. Yeah. But in... they, I mean... But as we see in this scene, them him recognizing that he has powers and being woken up, as he calls it, is what brought it to a breaking point where he can suppress, possibly suppress the Shadow King. Maybe. I mean, he says, he when he's telling his whole story of the Shadow King uh, to himself, figuring it all out, he says that Sid woke him up. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also says the Shadow King was a parasite getting stronger and stronger. Yes, so that's true. Basically... It's easy to miss, but he basically presents two alternative theories for why this is happening now. And they could both be true, but they're either this is happening now because Sid woke him up and the monster realized he couldn't hide anymore. Or, and this is kind of what we heard in the last episode from Lenny, this is happening now because Lenny has finally gotten strong enough to do something about it. Yes, that's true. She's done biding her time because it has taken her a long time, but she is getting stronger by siphoning his power and she's come to the point where she thinks she can take him. Yeah. Right? Those are not mutually exclusive, but they also don't both have to be true. That's true. So, again... I love that you know everything the monster knows. Yes. So that is like a revelation that he's not forgetting this. If he actually thinks about it, if he uses his rational Dan Stevens mind, he knows everything that has happened to him. Oh, man. And like... That's amazing. I think about uh, Melanie trying to empower David by saying, you're not schizophrenic, you have power. But this is actually empowering David. Mm -hmm. You know everything the monster knows. Like, oh, man. Those glitches in your memory, you can find them again. You know what they are. And it's all Summerland always was telling him, stop fighting us. You're fighting us. You're against us. Why are you doing? And he, he to himself, no, you are in control. Like, yeah, you can do it. You know, oh, I love, love that line. You know, mm-hmm. everything the monster knows. Yeah. And we get here again as twice before on this show. And as twice before in this episode, we are getting answers. Like, yeah. Putting the pieces together. Some of it. We probably have figured out already. Some of it we have brought to the show if we know anything about X-Men. Yeah. But we're getting answers. David's getting answers. So satisfying to have smart people be smart, putting pieces together, people figuring things out. I love it. Yeah. So good. Um, And, oh, animated story here. So fantastic. Notice... uh, I'm sure everyone noticed, but the dad in David's imagination is bald. Yep. Um, so on some level, maybe he knows. He just doesn't even he know says, how to imagine him, but he does imagine him correctly, yeah. mostly. Doesn't imagine him in a wheelchair, which is not very... In the... I mean, this is maybe extremely unnecessarily nerdy, but in the uh, comics, sometimes uh, Professor X doesn't get in a wheelchair until after his battle with the Shadow King. It's one mm. of the effects of his battle with the Shadow King. In some versions. Okay. Maybe. So that. he's in the wheelchair when he when he comes and drops off David because we see the wheel. Yeah. So that might be his effect of this battle. Could be. He, what I find a little frustrating about this is I know that his dad is important and we know, we've heard things about his dad before this, but he's kind of like, I have these biological 
this biological dad, and I guess a mom too, because everyone needs to have a mom and a dad to be born. And like, yeah, I guess yeah, I had a mom, but who was David's biological mom? This is like, that isn't something you can just dismiss. Yeah. I know it's important who his dad is, but I really hope that we find out a little bit more about who his mom is. And, and whether we find out or not that like this is, I agree with you completely, this is frustrating in this show, made much more frustrating by the fact that it happens all the freaking exactly, time. Exactly, exactly. It feels a little misogynistic. And not hugely, but just a little of like, come on, guys. Like, have him at least care about who his mom is, because he would. Yeah. He would care just as much about who his mom is as who his dad is. And, and he just assumes that, like, his dad is the only mutant when, like, it could be both of them. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. to say his exactly. mom is not a power, also a powerful mutant. Yeah. Because Lenny says that she knew his dad. Yeah. And doesn't say anything about his mom. But that doesn't mean anything. His rational mind should burst in here and say, rationally... You can make the deduction that the Shadow King fought with his dad and the Shadow King wants revenge against his dad. You can't make the assumption that his mom isn't important for her own reasons to him, to his psychic power, to his life. Exactly. The Shadow King's uh, vendetta is against his dad. That we can deduce. Yeah. But that his mom just like, I guess she exists. Like, come on. Yeah. Both, neither he nor the show cares about his mom even the tiniest bit. Yeah, I should. And I would hope they, frustration. Yeah, I hope they do in the future. And I hope, and I wonder. My wonder is that she, if she died in childbirth, would make sense. Would be frustrating a little bit because that's kind of fridging her. But that would make sense given what's happened. But because how did? Why did they give him up? Yeah, and that is he questions that and get sad and then says the cute little line of I'm pretty <laughs> I am loved Aww. and that's a great line but uh what did yeah like what did happen how would how would Professor X convince David's mother to give him up if he had yeah. reasons that were like Shadow King reasons yeah and it's, it is I think I think this is the kind of thing this episode we get so many answers and the sequence we get so many answers and we get so many answers that it's easy not to notice the answers we don't get yes i think this is one of the things that the rational mind doesn't give an answer to it says you know not important move on to what we know yeah but what's not important we don't actually get a good reason for why professor x gave david up yeah there's some vague like to protect him but that doesn't really make sense. No. And the rational mind says, I think correctly for this situation, that's not important. You know, skip to what matters, which is the situation we're in now and how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So that's not of immediate importance to David's situation. But it's important to us watching the show. Why did Professor X give David up in this scenario? Scenario, And how could he possibly have done it without the mother's objections? I totally mm-hmm. think it makes sense that his mother is dead. I hadn't thought of that. But Here's here's my new thought. Here's my new theory. David, our whole thing about like, did David kill his mom because of the Angriest Boy book? Mm-hmm. Did David kill his biological mom, not in an actual like killing her, but in a childbirth kind of way? Right. Or even in a, the Shadow King killed his mom at his birth. Right. Or, yeah, yeah. Because if the Shadow King killed his mom at his birth, then that is still feels like him because the Shadow King has been in him all along. And it kind of would make sense, maybe, if the Shadow King 
either killed his mom or possessed his mom and killed her. Yeah. That that's why uh, Professor X would try to hide David away. In fact, the Shadow King possessed his mom and killed her. Then the Shadow King living in David's mind, the conflation of them all the way would make sense to be like the angriest boy killed his mother. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I like that theory. Something along those lines is what I think happened. I don't have it solid, but what you've just said is compelling. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I wonder what's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know. This is the first time we've recorded an episode where we haven't actually seen the episode after it. So this is a like brand new territory. We do not know what's going to happen. We don't have to be cagey about any spoilers. (laughs) Yep. Um, The little thing that I noticed when in the chalk drawing, when he's with Sid, he draws a little like, them in a boat together and there's a rainbow yeah and after we heard him sing the rainbow connection and the him music and that the played about her was she's a rainbow oh yeah she comes in colors she comes in colors the actual title of the song is she's like a rainbow right. i called it she comes in colors all through our episode but why are there so many songs about rainbows <laughs> 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 okay, um there's also a part where he says that the uh parasite the Shadow King came and it was like a haunted house. He possessed me. And that is like Amy saying, I grew up in a haunted house. Right. So she saw that aspect. Yeah. Same words even. Yep. Same words. That's very true. She thinks the house is haunted, but it turns out it was David that was haunted. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anything more about this also? I just, the best thing is... Dan Stevens doing <laughs> an American accent, doing a British accent, and him did his real accent, making fun of it for it. And like, it almost sounds like he's doing like a British uh, Patrick Stewart impression. Like, yes, sweetheart. I'm Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Stewart, I can't, I can't do it. Sweetheart, it's over. I won, and it's like exactly him trying to be Patrick Stewart, which is very awesome. Like, is that a British accent? <laughs> but he's British. Oh man, um, the best. I love that kind of thing. Yeah, makes me feel happy. Okay. Move on. All right. So in a black and white clockworks, Sid, Carrie, and Rudy walk the halls. While in the real world, Carrie and Melanie try to move David and Sid. Oliver begins to play music with his hands, making letters appear in in the air, eventually spelling out the word shield. As the music plays, the world becomes a silent film, and we get a series of scenes. David emerges from his coffin and walks through his memories, coming through the same doors over and over. Walter attacks Carrie while Sid tries to help. Lenny arrives in the hallway and shines a light on them and then uses her power to crumple and kill Walter. Lenny catches on that they're trying to distract her and enters the real world to hit Oliver, ending the music. David explodes Division 3. Carrie finally sets the halo on David and Rudy awakes and jumps Lenny from behind as she is sucked down the hall. Then they all wake. Time unfreezes in David's room. The bullets fire but David catches them. They all look shocked, but David lifts his hands and transports them all. So, if I loved the cartoon, if I loved the chalkboard animation, the German expressionist silent film, this is, my mind is melting with, I mean, it's melting with the trippiness of this, but even more, just uh, amazing. This is so good and the chalkboard film like i have no nothing bad to say about it but we've seen that kind of thing before like it's Mm -hmm. the animated story of uh the deathly hallows and harry potter it's you know when 
you're telling a story about something that happened in the past, do it as a cartoon. That's a thing that happens. They do it very well, but mm-hmm. it's a thing that happens. Yeah. When your confrontation with the villain of your show happens with silent black and white and title cards, that is not a thing that happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Uncharted territory, it feels like. Uncharted is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get back to that. I just had to say that a little bit. <laughs> get a little bit about that. Now I have to back up a little bit and say a few things. Apart from the black and white silent movie aspect of it, when Sid puts on the glasses and looks at clockworks, what's real is in black and white, mm. right? Yeah. Um, what does it mean that what is that the illusion is color and what's real is black and white? I mean, the obvious answer is it's real in black and white, right? Yep. Like that's. Their, yeah, you're uh, seeing the distinction between this and this. There's no gray. I mean, yeah. There's lots of gray. But but it's the, you know, the saying, there it is in black and white. The black and white truth. The hard and fast truth. Even though it is an illusion and it still isn't hard and fast truth. Yes. But putting it all in black and white is a way of saying, like, mm-hmm. this is real. And taking out all the weird colors that we've had all along is interesting, yeah. too. And the colors all along have been, you know, emotional markers and thematic markers, and they connect things thematically and taking all that out and flattening it down. One of the reasons that, uh, you know, one of the things that German Expressionist film did was make the shadows really extreme, is exactly what you said about no gray, like extreme lighting, things backlit, heavy, sharp shadows, because you don't have any gray, because things are here or they're not, and they're Mm -hmm. like unnatural but also uh emotionally evocative shadowing yeah and i and we totally get that in this Mm -hmm. sequence yeah um i also wonder uh when oh i before i even wonder i have to say i I can't get through this episode without stopping to say how amazing it is this is i think my bet the my favorite episode yet so many elements of it when oliver starts conducting music and the music appears, and letters appear in the air, and like, yeah, so many things. I love it. Mm-hmm. Having said that, what is literally happening? Like, do Melanie and Carrie see the letters? Is that what they are seeing? Yeah, because they're not—they're not really there. Right, they're all still on the astral plane, and so Oliver can still create whatever he wants on the astral plane. And is he? We- so he—he's creating a shield out of the word shield because he's eccentric and bananas. And, <laughs> and he like, and do they hear like, is that music soundtrack or is it what Harry and Melanie are hearing at that moment? Because I'm pretty comfortable saying it's what Oliver is hearing. Is he making music appear as far as they can see? And they're in their astral projections but they're not in the astral plane. They're in the real world now. And we've talked about whether Oliver has telekinesis and we kind of thought he probably didn't. But if he can use a mental projection to create a mental wall that's going to stop real literal bullets from passing, like, what is Oliver's powers exactly? How does, I mean, and... I think maybe he has very limited telekinesis. Yeah? Yeah. He has yeah. telepathy and this power to control the world around him. Maybe it wouldn't have worked, that shield. We have no confirmation that it actually would have worked. I don't know, it seems pretty, I mean, I suppose not, but it seems pretty, he seems pretty confident in the way that it's shot and the way that we yeah. frame it all doesn't Does seem give like, me yeah. any reason to doubt that it 
is going to be successful. I think what's literally happening is he's manipulating the astral plane and using a mental power to come in between them. And the, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> he's, doing, yeah. he's doing a thing with the stuff, and that's how it works. He's doing a thing with the stuff. And are, how musical are his powers by nature, or is it just his personality? Like, and I think back to remember in The Undiscovered, remember back in The Undiscovered when Oliver is dancing in the ice cube during the fight scene, he puts on this music that is, you know, the soundtrack to that section of the episode that we in the audience are hearing it, but so is he literally hearing it, but it synchronizes with fight scenes that we're seeing. And we commented at the time with him, like, breaking the fourth wall with music. He's kind of doing the exact same thing here. He's creating music. It's the soundtrack to what's happening in Clockworks. And then when Lenny appears, she dances to it. So, and it's so blocking is, it. Oh, man. Is his power, partly is part of his power breaking the fourth wall? A Maybe. Like, that's, uh, that's a known power in Marvel Universe. Most notably, uh, Deadpool has that power. And She-Hulk. And She-Hulk has that power. Yeah. So maybe Oliver has that power, too. It's a, it's a you know, it's a... He mutant, his mutant power is a little bit breaking the fourth wall, especially when it comes to music. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think we should take it super literally. No, I mean... But... It is a really cool effect. And oh. I do think I do think that Melanie and Carrie are seeing the words. I do think the, the words are literally there in the astral plane kind of way. Right. Because um, they're seeing something. And I, again, though, we'll talk about music at the end of the episode, but this musical choice, this song, like, so phenomenal. Such yeah. a good choice. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And then we have... Uh, David breaking out of the coffin and he finds himself in Dr. Poole's office. Yes. And he goes around in the he circle. He keeps going into the closet that he was scared of before and just keeps coming around and coming around like 20 times. And I think the uh, him being trapped in Dr. Poole's office is a metaphor for him being unable to escape the narrative that says that he's mentally ill. Yes, right? absolutely. In his life and then still. He just said, I'm not sick anymore but he finds himself in his therapist's office and can't leave it, mm-hmm. right? The story that you are mentally ill is a story that even though he n- knows it's not true, he literally can't get out of that story Yeah. until he stops paying attention to it. Yeah. And again, we could make that, you know, what what's literal is metaphorical. He doesn't look, and that's how he can walk out of that office because when he stops looking at that narrative that he's mentally ill is when he escapes it. Yes, absolutely. Right? Um, but he doesn't end up back in the real world. He ends up in Division 3. Yeah. And then he uses his power, which is interesting. Seems like it's a step in the right direction. It, yeah, somehow <laughs> he's out of it. He's out of um, Dr. Poole's office. I said this already, but I'm repeating myself. I cannot overstate how much I love the silent movie black and white title cards. Mm-hmm. Like, we are sometimes in this show, we're sort of realism. And we've talked before about, like, is it... Uh, surreal or is it just what's literally happening in the world seems surreal because it's so weird but we're giving up on any approach at realism or representationalism here with the title cards showing up yeah and i love it and then lenny shows up and she is exactly in the genre of this movie yeah she's a silent movie character when she shows up absolutely and she can't oh she's always been kind of old school movie this is going back even further into silent movie and her outfit is all like Beetlejuice like, and her hair's all up in a crazy new, new, brand new hairstyle this time. 
More hairstyles for Lenny. About her outfit. She says she looks like Beetlejuice. I feel like she looks like uh, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, Both yeah, hair it's bit, and outfit. It's very Tim Burton-esque. And if she looks like Edward Scissorhands, that is not a coincidence. That is because Edward Scissorhands actually looks like the somnambulist from the cabinet of Dr. Caglieri. Now, somnambulist just means sleepwalker, but that's mm-hmm. what he's called in the title cards of okay. the, the movie is the somnambulist. The Cabinet of Dr. Cagliari is a German expressionist silent film from, I don't know when, very early, <laughs> the 30s. Uh, and it's, you know, the high, it is the early 30s, it would be pre-war, pre-Second World War. It is one of the examples, if you're talking about, what, what are you talking about, German expressionist film? The Cabinet of Dr. Cagliari, that's mm-hmm. the big example. Tim Burton based the look of... Uh, Edward Scissorhands on the bad guy from that movie. Mm. Lenny clearly is also based on that bad guy. And I think the connection to Edward Scissorhands is also on purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's a silent movie actor. She's a silent movie villain. And then her grin in throughout this scene, I think is a uh, reference to another silent movie villain, which is um, The Man Who Laughs, which is another like enormous if you know two if you know two German expressionist uh, movies, you know Dr. Cagberry and The Man Who Laughs. Mm-hmm. The Man Who Laughs, uh, the villain has this great big phony smile all the time. And that character was the inspiration for the Joker. Oh no way. So the big smile on the man <laughs> who laughs is why Joker smiles and looks the way he does. And now <laughs> We, this is Marvel, not DC, but now we have Lenny smiling like the Joker, a, a comic book villain smiling like a comic book villain who's based on a uh, German expressionist film when she's in the style of a German expressionist film. Like, it's this big <laughs> Everything circle. Everything is full circle. Oh, my goodness. Lots of circles. Love circles. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it is amazing. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to both The Cabinet of Dr. Cagliari and The Man Who Laughs. Yeah. And you can, you know... Watch them if you want to, or at least take a look at those characters and how much they look like Lenny in this scene. Yeah, absolutely. I notice her light, when she shines her light, it says HMS Ambush on the side of it. So it's like a ship light, and then it has right. Ambush on it because she's ambushing them. I didn't yeah. look anything else. I looked that. into, I didn't notice that until you pointed it out to me, but mm-hmm. you pointed it out to me before we started recording this. I looked into it a little bit, and I can't find any evidence that the HMS ambush is an actual boat no. of any kind, right? No, I'd say not. But it is a ship's light, and she's ambushing them. Yep. Yeah. Just a little tiny, like, detail that you wouldn't even notice if you didn't pause like I do. <laughs> exactly. The props on this show, the props department, mm-hmm. are... All the departments, everything. I mean, they yeah. all work so well together is the amazing thing about this. So good. So we have silence again. Yes. The Shadow King, or Lenny, whatever, loves silence. We have that episode two episodes ago where we had this whole sequence, this horror sequence where they couldn't talk to each other. It was all silent. And now we have this silent movie aspect. And it's this shutting down, this uh, when you can't talk to each other, you can't communicate. And if you can't communicate, you can't defeat your enemy. Right. So what the Shadow King wants to do is isolate them from each other. Exactly. And she's, and she's literally isolated David by putting him in this tiny corner of his mind. And she, I think she wants to do that to all of them, to make them all 
not be able to communicate with each other. And in the last episode where she created silence, she says to Amy, right, this isn't a talking place, it's a listening place. Yes. And then here, you know, she shows up and she says, you rise when the king appears. Mm -hmm. She likes silence because she doesn't want to hear what anyone else has to say. Yes, like that's it's very true. Represents a lot of arrogance. The arrogance and the solipsism and what she said in the last episode about the only person who matters is God. Yes. And her version of God is God who has power and doesn't care about anything that doesn't have power. And yeah. she herself wants to be God. And so she silences everyone else and doesn't want to hear what they have to say. Yes. Yep. Well, she kills Walter. Yes. And I'm like... It's a creepy and kind of cool death, the way she, like, crumples him up with her hands. I'm really disappointed that she killed Walter. He was a very interesting villain. I felt like he had a lot more to him. I would have liked to find out more about him. And so to, so to have him just, like, straight up dead now, I assume. You're sad to say goodbye to I'm him. sad to say goodbye to him. Yeah. Raise a glass to Walter. Raise a glass. <laughs> uh, oh, so much to love. Aubrey Plaza and the, like... Gunny the gun, like, clicking her head to the side. Yes. I mean, you've seen that in GIF. She has per- such precise control of every aspect of her body. This is what makes her such an excellent actress in this show especially, is all this, like, physicality that she has. These tiny movements and these big movements, and she's very in control. And even you see, like, I don't think... When you see her... Putting her suddenly cocking her head to the side as if it's being shot with the big grin on it, so creepy and so amazing performance. And then uh, Sid and Carrie both cock their heads to the side, and they do it in unison. But neither one of them does it quite as well as Robert Plaza does. I think we can hand wave that and say that that's because they're being she's doing it on purpose and they're not. So even for their characters, it makes sense that they don't do it as sharply and distinctly. but man, oh, she is unreal. She's amazing in this mm-hmm. sequence. Yeah. And then this whole silent movie section ends with Rudy suddenly waking up. Yes. He Why does up he wake up? Because I think Melanie told him, either by controlling him or just telling him that he's not stabbed on the astral plane. He realizes that he can move. So and Mel- it's something to do with Melanie whispering to him. I think that's the more likely answer. The alternative answer that I thought was Walter took his place. Walter stabbed him and took his place, but Walter took his place. Oh, is Walter yeah. able, is it a part of Walter's taking people's faces powers that he's able to mentally suppress them? Mm. So he's hold, he's the one that's actually been holding Rudy back. It wasn't the stab right. wound making Rudy a drooling moron in clockworks. It was Walter. It was Walter being in his body. Being in his body or taking over or whatever. Right. That makes sense. And then when Walter dies, suddenly Rudy blinks awake because whatever is suppressing him isn't there anymore. You're right. I didn't even think of that. Oh, I feel dumb. Well, I don't know. I actually think I went into this uh, thinking that that was what it was, but we talked about Melanie's. I think it's probably a combination of both. I think it's too much to say that Melanie's whisper was irrelevant. Yes, it was definitely definitely irrelevant to this. So, Yeah. So I don't know exactly what causes Rudy to act, but I think it's one of those two things. And I think actually Melanie is the better answer, but mm-hmm. the Walter is another answer yes. that I thought of. Yeah. Um, yes. It's a great moment for him too, for him to actually get to act rather than just to sit there in the wheelchair the entire time. Yes. As far as 
Um, and overcome. Then, and then David catches bullets. Yeah. Oh, I like the sequence where it feels like <gasps> he's been shot, and then no, he has the bullets in his hand. It's kind of a, you know. <laughs> oh. Just to play with your audience's heartstrings a little bit there. I guess. But the. It's just part of his telekinesis. He can catch bullets. He can do anything. It's yeah. frightening how powerful he is. And we've and, kind of been told yeah. that all along. And here we're once again really seeing it. Yeah. Because the, the last, until now, the biggest display of David's power we've seen has actually been sitting in David's body, removing all the doors and killing Lenny. Like or teleporting been, the MRI machine, maybe. Yeah, or it's been when... Uh, when Lenny's been in charge. Right. She's been in the driver's seat. Yes. So we know that he has this phenomenal power, but he has not used it for himself all that much, except for like outbursts of yeah, moving the MRI machine, making the kitchen all Which don't dirty. seem deliberate. No, and no, not deliberate. Catching the bullets is deliberate, and also catching the bullets. Like, removing doors is amazing and, you know, in one sense, a greater display of power than catching bullets. But catching bullets requires such a confluence of different powers because he mm -hmm. needs to be able to control things. He needs to be able to perceive, perceive what's behind him. He needs to be able to move superhumanly fast. He needs to be able to, like, there's so much required to catch a bullet. Yeah, <laughs> Whereas absolutely. to remove a door, like, she could have done that very, very slowly for all we know. Mm -hmm. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, he is very, it's, this is really showing how powerful David is. It is. And then the next thing he does, which is extremely powerful, which is teleport them all. Yes. And we come to the team walking through the forest towards Summerland, Rudy in a stretcher. David attempts to take off the halo, but Carrie shouts at him <laughs> for to not take it off. Um, Oliver is back in the world and serves them breakfast, but he doesn't remember Melanie. Carrie tries to merge with that female Carrie, but she is extremely upset that he's left. he left her. David and Amy go for a walk and talk, and David suddenly sees a flash of the angriest boy, and Carrie says he has to take him to the lab. As they're walking there, suddenly commandos emerge, and the interrogator from the very first episode reappears with a burnt face and a wonky eye. We have so much to talk about, he says, and then you can kill the others. But before the episode ends... Deep in David's mind, Lenny is trapped in the box, screaming. And as she punches, a crack in the wood appears. And then we cut to credits. So first, as they're walking through the uh, woods back to Summerland, Carrie says, you know, back me up here. We have to get back to the lab. Back me up here, Melanie. And Melanie is gone because she has yes. run ahead to find the diver to see whether Oliver is okay. And once again, as we've seen through this show... All Melanie cares about is Oliver. All she cares about. When the chips are down, yeah. that Whatever is who she cares about. about. Yeah. The only thing she cares about. Yeah. And she, he or she isn't even pretending to care about the rest yeah, of them. Yeah, absolutely. I had a little question about uh, them coming through, through to Summerland. He teleported them all, but he teleported them like a hundred feet away. He didn't yeah. teleport them to like, Rudy's in a stretcher. Rudy's been stabbed. Get him to help immediately. Instead, they're, like, walking through the forest with him. So how far So how far did he teleport them? Yeah, I feel like this is a moment where the what they wanted to film uh, affected what they decided happened. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
And I mean, it's fair enough that his power is a little limited. He doesn't have infinite power. And he's not very experienced in it yet. Yes, and so he's... Yeah, he doesn't want to aim for a building or whatever. So that makes right. sense, too. It just kind of irked me that, like, hello, Rudy needs, like, medical attention right now. How about you teleport him to a friggin' hospital? <laughs> Do we have Oliver making breakfast? Does he yeah. recognize Melanie? You said he didn't recognize Melanie. I don't know. I feel like it's not clear. He, I mean, certainly we don't get confirmation that he does recognize her. Yes. Maybe he does recognize her. They... They exchange a lot of looks, and he serves her breakfast, and he gives her a flower, but he doesn't have any affection for her. No. And maybe he never did. Yeah. Maybe this is why he went to the astral plane to begin with. He's not, he's this charming guy, but we don't know what their relationship was before he did this. Mm-hmm. Melanie seems to have blown it up to be this, like, fantastic love story, and she's so hopelessly dedicated to him. But he doesn't seem to care about her, and maybe that's not just because he forgot. Maybe. Maybe he was, like, a not-very-nice guy before. Or or at least she... I mean, it, it does seem plausible, if very, very sad, that she could mistake his charm for affection for her particularly. Yeah. Well, they were married, so yes. there was something, but... but yeah. Yeah, I wonder, like, mm-hmm. it's, he seems like kind of a philanderer. And you're right that he... They exchange a lot of looks, but if he remembered that she was his wife, we would see more than this. Yes, He's like, exactly. oh, hello. Yeah. So, and then what's up with um, Carrie and Carrie? Do we oh, have anything man. to yeah, say other than just the sadness are, of that? Well, things are not okay between them. But I think this is maybe a, what we're going to see more with Carrie, uh, female Carrie, is when Sid talked to her several episodes ago about their, their joining and like, well, what's your role? And she was like, you know, I do the fighting, I do the other stuff. And, like, she doesn't know who she is. Yeah. She's, like, a 16-year-old or a 20-year-old or whatever who, like, I don't know what my identity is. And Carrie left her. Yeah. He went off to the astral plane and he left her. And she had to fight for herself and she's really upset at him for this. But she doesn't want to rejoin with him. And maybe she wants to spend a little time growing up and learning who she is outside of Carrie. Yeah. I mean, and there's a, all through this entire series, there's been metaphors of growing mm-hmm. and not even metaphors, themes of growing. Yeah. And this is Carrie growing. She's growing is painful. Yes. It, yeah. I feel so bad for Bill Irwin Carrie and how upset he is and how he's desperate. Like, he's desperate in the woods. Like, can, can we do the thing? Can we come back together? I've missed you. Yeah. I need you inside. My body, <laughs> in like a, you know, sweet, not in a creepy way, but in like a, <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah. I he mean, wants to rejoin with her and she's very resistant. And I think, I don't know when they're going to rejoin again. And you can really see, need... we saw it all, we saw so much of it from his perspective that you can see where, from his perspective, it's not like there was a moment where he could have gone back and gotten her. Yes, exactly. But from her perspective... She's yeah. abandoned and afraid, and he's not there for her. Yep, he's just completely yeah. gone the middle of the night. After telling her, "Knock on the w- knock on the wall if you need me," and she knocked, and he wasn't there. Yeah, and he was never there after that for a very long time. Yeah, poor Carrie, poor Carrie, poor <laughs> both Carries. Yeah. Um, Why can't Amy use the coffee machine? Is it because Oliver is back? No, because David can use. <laughs> David can use the coffee machine. Okay. I think it's just she's unfamiliar with it. Yeah. Okay. I don't think there's anything deeper than that to than it. That. Okay. Because I wondered, like, because there's the whole thing with the coffee machine saying the, the story. And I wondered if 
that was connected to that. Right. So we've had, all through this show, we've had conversations about when this is set. Here we have another confirmation that this is set in the present. Like, it's styled weird, but this is the present. She's talking what? about email. Mm-hmm. Amy talks about sending Ben an email. I want to punch that line in the face. <laughs> I'm so... <laughs> when she said email, I just... I'm so mad. Like, it's the 90s at the latest. Oh, why? Or the earliest, I mean. When does this take place? It's so... Oh, okay, it's like the future, but it's the past, but it's whatever. I'm just annoyed that she t- when she said the email thing, they're playing records. It's the 70s, yeah. but she's going to email Ben. Oh, I mean, I don't understand. Are they time travelers? Maybe they're time travelers. I hate it. I hate it so much. I love it. I think it is clear. I mean, all joking aside, I think it is very clear that this show is deliberately keeping us off balance in terms yes. of where, when and where it is set. Yeah, and it works. It does. I'm, I'm jokingly upset, but it does really work. This whole keeping us off balance as to when it when it is. Yeah, and they give us a few conflicting anchor points in mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and even in terms, space, in terms of technology, in terms of space, what do you mean? Well, just like maybe not so much space, but like Summerland is in the woods. How did they it's get there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how do they get there? They do like what you ask yeah. about, like how did they get there? Why does he teleport them into the woods? Why is the MRI machine in the woods back in the last episode, but it was on the lawn in the previous one? Did someone move it into the woods or have woods grown up? There's more woods than there used to be. There used mm. to be more lawn and now there's more woods. They're like, you mentioned about their house. He talks about it being in the country, but it seems like it's pretty close to the city. Yeah, it is. It's very messed up. It's just, it's not... Also, there's a lot of taxidermy... We got a shot of outside Summerland, and there's all these, like, taxidermied animals going up this, like, step thing, and there's the goat in the internal circle thing. Like, it's supposed to be a horse ranch? That's what this was originally? Mm-hmm. But there's all these taxidermied animals. How come? Why? Why? <laughs> Is it like a hunting lodge, too? Uh, the only place I've ever seen this many many ta- taxidermied animals is like either a museum or a hunting lodge, not a horse ranch or a school for mutants or whatever it is. <laughs> but to be fair, how many school for mutants, schools for mutants have you been to? I've seen the other one. <laughs> just, just the one. Just the one. So. Xavier didn't have a, any taxidermy. It's a small sample size is all I'm saying. <laughs> when Amy and uh, David are talking, they're having their little talk, and she talks about email and how mm-hmm. she, you know, is a big fan of the Backstreet Boys, who are a current contemporary <laughs> band. <laughs> um, the two things about that set. First is we see it, we've seen that set before, but here we see it shot from above, and the floor is all in circles. Yeah, more, more circles. circles. And the circle pattern is even more, like, it's uh, a Mandela. yeah. Or possibly, like, fractals. Mm, yeah. It's not just circles. It's, you know, circles with circles around them. absolutely. I think we'll talk uh, in our season wrap-up about the circle imagery throughout Mm -hmm. the entire episode, throughout the entire (laughs) season. But here's another example. Circles on the carpet really prominently. Yeah. Um, And then another motif that I think we'll talk about in our season wrap-up the walls of that room are, again, a rainbow. 
they're multicolored. Every panel of the wall is a different color, oh. and they are following rainbow patterns. I didn't notice that. It's subtle, like it's metallic colored. Mm -hmm. It's not bright colors. It's kind of uh, chrome metallic mm -hmm. colors, but they're they're rainbow colors on the rainbow walls. walls. Oh, interesting. Yes. Oh, I like the rainbows. And then Hamish Linklater shows up again. <laughs> hey, he's back. He's back. Maybe he'll get a name this time, a real name. I like that he, like, his face is all burnt and he's got the weird eye now. So maybe yeah. he's replacing Walter. Maybe he is Walter. I think oh. in terms of the show, he is literally the new Walter. Yeah. And so he has an eye just like, like so good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so interested to see what's going to happen with him and with the uh, Division 3 now. I love the moment where all the Division 3 show up and... Uh, they all hold their hands up, except Oliver has his martini, and he just like casually takes a sip of martini and then holds his hand up, just like all <laughs> casual and cool. He's so cool. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, Do you want to talk about Patonomy? Yeah. What? He does nothing in this episode. I feel like he wasn't even in it. He is in it, slightly. I, but does he have I a was, line? I don't know. I don't think he does. Yeah. I was really disappointed. I've been By, really, really liking Patonomy. Yeah. I mean, what would what would he have done? I'm not sure. But where was he? Was he, he stuck in his childhood memory that whole time? Because in the last episode, we saw him in his childhood memory, and we saw adult him in his childhood memory, and then we never came back to that or did no, anything with that. Nothing. Yeah, I agree. I feel like there's something missing here. Maybe we'll flash back to what he was doing throughout this episode in the next episode. Maybe. I don't really think so, but maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always sad not to have autonomy. Yeah, and I mean, like, you can't do everything. You can't focus on every single character. But he felt like he was a very integral part of the team. Certainly more of a part of the team than Rudy was. He's barely in the show at all. Yeah. And so to have Patonomy so sidelined in this. And now Rudy is like the the <clears throat> one who... He sacrificed himself? Sacrificed himself. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have... I was about to say, you know, why couldn't you have Patonomy be the one that jumps on Lenny's back at the end? But I don't want Patonomy to sacrifice himself because I want him to be back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in this episode, in terms of wrap-up thoughts of this whole episode, mm -hmm. uh, we're going into the, like, this is the penultimate episode. In the classroom with the blackboards, I said, we get so many answers that we almost don't notice the answers we don't get. And it's also, it's, that's an aspect of this episode as a whole. So many loose ends get, seem to get wrapped up. We almost don't notice the ones that don't. Mm -hmm. We could almost believe Oh, the Shadow King's defeated. She's done. Yeah. Uh, is she going to come back? Is Hamish Linklater and Division 3 a red herring as the antagonist of the next episode? Is it still going to be Lenny? Or is Lenny dealt with and Division the, 3 the is... The thing cracks at the end. That is a clue. Yeah. That thing cracks. So there's going to be more, definitely more with Lenny. Um. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And is this, I mean... We'll talk about this in the next episode, but in terms of the season, is the Shadow King going to be defeated in the next episode? And is that going to be the end of the Shadow King? I mm. kind of hope not, because I want Aubrey Plaza to be here yeah, forever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, it's a lot of questions. Going into the finale, like, and going into, like, the rest of the show, we have the question of what... Is the Shadow King looking for at the beginning? Yeah. Where is it, he says? And what is that? What is the it of that? We don't know. We still, at this coming into the finale episode, we don't know what the stars said. 
don't know what the stars said. You feel like uh, you've gotten all the answers, but we did not this? ever find out what the stars said. We don't know why Professor X gave up David, really. Mm -hmm. So there's quite a few big questions yeah. that we have not answered, and most of which we haven't even addressed. Yeah, absolutely. Though we have, I mean, we've addressed in the sense that they've brought them back up so that we know that they haven't forgotten them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one little thought about this episode. Uh, are there too many meaningless fake-outs in this episode? David is shot in the back, but he catches it. Mm. Uh, Oliver is dead in the diver suit, but no, he's in the mm. breakfast room. Yeah, definitely two. Just two? Too many? Too many by two. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it, they are a little bit of a fake-outs, and I don't always love... But on the other hand, we do get the answers immediately. Yes, they exactly. They're not like a fake out, like that you don't have, you think David is shot and it cuts to the next episode. That would have been yes. not a good, not good writing. Yeah, I agreed. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to talk about clothing? Yeah, there's not a ton to talk about in clothing for this episode. Uh, Sid is back in her black instead of her orange. Right. Most of the people are wearing the same thing they wore the last episode, so it's not much change. Uh, Lenny's outfit, as we discussed, is very Beetlejuicy and very like this put together suit with this crazy hair. Looks like the what was the word somnambulist? The somnambulist. Somnambulist. Uh, Devil with the yellow eyes, the you know monster version, got a little bit better dressed. There was one shot before he turned into Lenny, where he was wearing a tie. So often he wears these kind of rags coming off of him. And it, but he's starting to really mix more with Lenny. And with the angriest boy in the world. That too, who yeah, who wears a tie. So it's all kind of, they're all really conflating now into one thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, David was back in his shirt with the yellow triangle during his escape, right. which kind of shows that Lenny is still inside of him mm -hmm. and still will be inside of him. And I yep. don't think, and I think we'll maybe see a, something different when he's not, when Lenny is no longer inside of David. Right. But that's, yeah, not much about clothing this time was kind of not really a highlight. Okay. So what about the music? So uh, the music, I mentioned some of it as we went through the episode, but Walter, when he's hunting Carrie in the hallways of Clockworks, what he's whistling is Froggy Went According. Now... There's two aspects of that, and I think they're both significant. One is, both aspects of it are just like in the last episode, his reference to Little Red Riding Hood. Mm, yeah. Little Red Riding Hood is, was a creepy reference, and Froggy Go Went to Courtney is a creepy reference because on its surface, it's a children's song, it's a folk song, it's innocent and folky and uh, children's story, children's song. There's but, nothing creepier than a villain slowly whistling a children's tune. No, you know, it would be cliche if he was doing Pop Goes the Weasel. <laughs> yes. But he's doing Froggy Went a Courtin, you know? But then, additionally, just like with Little Red Riding Hood, Froggy Went a Courtin has a... Oh, yeah, sexual undertone. Sexual sure. undertone. Yeah. So he's not a, a frog. He, there's a line in it that he's not a frog. He's a horny toad. It's very explicit. <laughs> yeah. So froggy when according is has sexual undertone, and then he's whistling a what on the surface is childish and innocent, but mm -hmm. actually has all the sexual undertones while he's chasing yeah. down Carrie because he's very scary <laughs> and creepy. Um, the music Oliver conducts is Bolero Ravel's Bolero. I have so much to say about this song, and I'm not going to say it all now. Uh, I, it's such a great choice for this mm -hmm. scene. And the, I'll just say Bolero as a song, um, it's a brilliant piece of music. 
but uh, it's a 13 to 17 minute song, depending on how fast you play it, that starts in double piano and ends in fortissimo. Starts with everyone playing as quiet as they can, and it just keeps building and building until everyone's playing as loud as they can. And we don't really get that effect in this show quite as much, yeah. quite as much. But it is because of that a song that is full of tension. It's full of like building towards something. It's frankly a super sexy song because <laughs> it's about you know slowly moving towards a climax. Yep. Um, and it gets often used on TV and movies as the score either to a sneaking spy section or a sex scene or one leading into the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great in this scene for all that because the tension is building, something dramatic is happening. And then when Lenny comes and bashes Oliver against the wall and prevents him from finishing the shield, she cuts off the song and... I mean, not to be too crude about it, but we don't get our climax. Yes. <laughs> right? We, this is a song that leads us to expect climax that we don't get. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's Point. happening. Um, this isn't music, but this is something I've talked about in the past in this music section, which is Oliver's back to beat poetry. Mm, and he, yep. The poem that he says is again Allen Ginsberg. The poem is Sunflower Sutra. It's all out of order. Um, all the things that he said, he says three lines from the poem, and they're all completely garbled in order. Which makes sense because he's completely garbled in his own head. Exactly. So he doesn't, he's quoting snippets of poetry. He says, like, where was I? And what he says is not where he was. Yeah. What he says after where was I is way back at the beginning. Um, he starts off this quote by saying, I preach my sermon to my soul and Jack's soul to mm. Jack in the poem is Jack Kerouac. Course, yeah. um, and the poem is about, Ellen Ginsberg's poems are often about seeing desolation. America isn't what it used to be and it's falling apart and there's, you know, everything is ruined. But this poem has a hopeful ending that is mm. not typical of Ginsberg. So it's a really appropriate poem for him to be saying at this moment when he says, Sun, you were never a locomotive sunflower, you were a sunflower. Mm-hmm. He's there's a contrast in the poem between locomotives that are machinery that are always about go, 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 go. And Ginsburg is worried that the beat poets are polluting the world by their go, go, go. And then he recognizes that uh, Jack Kerouac was never a locomotive. He was a sunflower. Mm. Um, and so Oliver has this hope and the show has this hope in this moment. And the plot of the show is not go, go, go anymore. It's pausing for a second. Yeah. And we're having this rest like a sunflower. Mm. Yeah. And then the final credits is a song called The Art of Fear by a band uh, called The Grassy Knoll. I was not familiar with either this song or this band before now, but uh, pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. Funky and excellent, actually. Um, and the and it's very appropriate for... Lenny is breaking out of the coffin and the song is The Art of Fear. Mm, Do you fear me now? Do you feel me now? Do you fear me now? Uh, Icebreaker. And she's breaking through. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Cool. There you go. Sounds good. I went into this episode (laughs) thinking that it would be short because I didn't think I had much more to say other than, so good! This is so good! We have so many things to say. We always have so many things to say. So, um, if you have so many things to say, Mm -hmm. you can get in touch with us on Twitter at clockworkscast. You can send us an email at clockworkscast at gmail.com. And for both of those, we will be doing a 
season wrap-up episode. We will not record the season wrap-up episode until after this episode has aired, so you still have time to get in touch with us, and we'll talk about things that you have mentioned in that season wrap-up episode, uh, if you want us to. You can also find us online at goodstuff.fm slash clockwork. That's our webpage. If you want to help us out a little bit, you can leave a review for us on iTunes. If you want to give to us more directly, you can find us on patreon.com slash clockworkscast, where you can give a uh, dollar a month or whatever you can afford just to help us out a little bit to make more podcasts like this one. Thanks for listening. Thank you very much, and we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.